Relatively Geeky presents Doom Speak. Dr. Doom, issue seven. Welcome to the seventh self-isolated quarantined episode of Doom Speak, in which we are observing and celebrating once again one of the most important eras in all of comicsdom, the issuance by Marvel Comics of a comic book bearing the glorious name of Doctor Doom. And in this episode, we'll be looking at Doctor Doom number seven, delayed by only six months. Take that, death mate. But first, a little feedback. Sir, Luke Giaconetti, who has been very busy with his stay-at-home work and four kids and all that, got caught up recently on a bunch of Doomspeak episodes and wrote in feedback on some of that bunch of episodes. Episode 21, Dr. Doom number 6, a.k.a. Doom vs. Kang. As much as I like the idea of Dr. Doom and Kang the Conqueror's colleagues or contemporaries, you knew that eventually one would turn on the other. So the ending of this issue was not a surprise, but the interactions between the two before that turn sounded delightful. I am definitely going to be picking up this series in collected form, and I'm also looking forward to writer Christopher Cantwell's upcoming turn on Iron Man's solo title, Aside, hopefully we can get a full issue throwdown between these two at some point. Here, here, Luke, here, here. Aside, aside. As I am writing this, Kang has been announced as the villain in the upcoming Ant-Man 3 film. With the FF characters back in the Marvel Studios fold, could we see Doctor Doom on the big screen again in the near future? Make it so, Luke. Make it so. Episode 24, Supervillain Team-Up. Luke says he had covered the finale of this story long ago with Dr. Bill on Back to the Bins. SVTU has always held a fascination to me due to the pairing of Doom and Namor. Both complex characters who, to me, stand as shining examples of exactly what Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and the rest of the early Marvel staff was trying to accomplish. I have the Essentials collection of this series and need to sit down with it at some point. Episode 25, The Emperor Returns. Oddly, right before I listened to this episode, I'd been working through a stack of about 20 issues of Fantastic Four that had piled up on my nightstand. A mix of cheapy bin books, that's what we like to hear, Luke, and True Believer reprints, we like to hear that too, at a buck, including FF number 5, Doom's first appearance, naturally. And one of the issues I read was FF volume 3, number 1, the first hero's return issue. And I got to wondering, if the FF and company returned from the hero's reborn universe due to Franklin Richards, had he brought back Dr. Doom or not? So great timing here with your coverage 
to get me an answer to that question, Professor. And episode 26, Cloak and Dagger. I've never read Cloak and Dagger outside of their appearances in Carnage storylines, although I did watch and enjoy their television series. That said, this issue sounds like some 80s slash Copper Age fun, mixing Bronze Age social awareness and 80s cynicism. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Uh, Of course, I also agree that this was mostly an excuse to feature Dr. Doom, uh, but if you're going to shoehorn a guest star into your book, Doom is almost always a great choice. A fun run of episodes, Professor, and hopefully we can get back to the ongoing series soon. But if not, I would be more than happy to get more classic stories with our favorite benevolent benefactor. Hail Doom, Luke. And hail Doom to you as well, Sir Luke. Well, I do remember a storyline where Doom and your buddy Iron Man spent some quality time in Camelot. That may have to be on the short list for this show, definitely. And sadly, we may be getting to some of those classic stories in 2021. Breaking news is that this current Doctor Doom series will end with Cantwell's last issue, which will be issue 10. I am bummed that this excellent series is coming to an end, and I'm hopeful and confident that it will end strong, and I'm looking forward to continuing to chronicle Doom's current adventures until we get to that point, as well as, as Luke suggested, revisiting some of the classic ones as well. And we got some more feedback specifically on last episode with Cloak and Dagger. Anthony Percanti said it was a good issue. The nuance concerning nuclear power for cancer treatments really made me think about that deeply as a kid. Well, good. Mike Zomkowski commented that he always appreciates more doom in these times of uh, doom. Well, you keep keeping on, Mike. Billy D. thought it was a good episode and commented about how good Mantlo was at writing stories that could be viewed from both sides of the fence in terms of an issue. I'm pretty sure he wrote a Spidey story that had a Second Amendment subject with both pro and con arguments portrayed. Doesn't surprise me, Billy. Mantlo really knew what he was doing as a writer. And from Ranger Gord, a longtime friend of Old Doom. Greetings, Professor, if that's who you really are. Hail Doom! Again, the magnanimity of Doom is measured by his generosity in sharing, quote-unquote, cover and title space with these young up-and-comers, joke and swagger, whatever their names are. Too bad that hashtag Big Comic again tampered with the system in forcing Marvel to redact the true title of this title, which should of course have been Doctor Doom with temporary guest villains, Smoke and Jagger, whoever they are. One can only imagine the confusion in the 1980s with that damn Baxter atrocity in the storyline confusing the graphics department. 
I truly have no issues with the guest stars, Pokey and Gumby, or whoever they were. But I do demand, nay, order, a higher measure of respect, nay, obedience, from latter-day doomcomers. Salutations, the ranger, if that's who I really am. <laughs> well, hail doom, Gord. Hail doom. Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, was getting caught up with some past episodes of Doom Speak as well. Must have been a sign of what was to come. Hail Doom. And hail Doom to you, friend. And our good friend, Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, had a lot to say about this. I'm really enjoying the episodes away from the main series, as they're packed with guest stars. Doom is at his best interacting with people other than the FF. It's less predictable. Cloak and Dagger are great for a guest shot or two, but I've never felt inclined to read a series of their own. They're too tightly defined. She's light, he's dark, they hate drugs. So, off to Marvel Unlimited for Cloak and Dagger number 10. And here, after having read the issue, we get Mart's thoughts on the book. Firstly, I'm impressed by Ken Brusenak's medieval lettering on the credits. Smart. And he continues the goodness with Golden Age-style raised capitals at the start of narration boxes. Oh, did, did we mention Sir Sir Martin of Grey? Magazine and newspaper editor. He notices things like this, and I'm glad he lets us know about them. And Elliot Brown, the Ohatmu Diagrams chappy, is listed as science advisor. That's keen. That page of doom walking through his halls to the machine room is hilarious, with the lackey unfurling the ever-lengthening technical report, and I like the bemused musician in the mirror. And that panel of doom pouring red wine through his metallic gob, hilarious. Well done, Brett Blevins. That, yes, was definitely one of the artistic uh, moments of the issue. Our supposed stars are really not attractive. He, a scowling creature who wants to bully the good folk of Doomstat. She, a melodramatic idiot, dazzled by the pretty light. I never get that people realize they're teenagers. He's like a gnarled old tree. She's a hooker look-alike. Who really thinks that's an appropriate costume for someone meant to be no older than 19? Heck, who thinks that's an appropriate costume for anyone? No wonder they were canceled so often. I do find it offensive, Martin says, that Mantlo treats Europe like some other world, with C&D needing to take an American who has heard of the place. And then Mart points out one of the issues with translation in this issue, which also speaks to the low regard that C&D must have gotten from editorial. I don't think you mentioned it, but after Doom gets out from behind his mighty Moog, the dictatorial doctor is so dazzled by Dagger that he forgets his own name. Vincent Von Doom, he calls himself. Is he going to weaponize sunflowers now? I understood that reference, Mark. Very artistic. I agree. The doubt about Doom's existence makes no sense for a couple of people who've lived in New York for a while. I mean, how many times has Doom graced the city 
with his pompous presence. And I thought that you were calling Cloak and Dagger CND, as in Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. That would be clever. Well, sorry to disappoint you, Mark, but no. I am, in fact, not that clever. And then Sir Martin's account must have been hacked. He does have a couple cats in the household because some very strange and, and hurtful comments were made here. Uh, clearly not by Mart. He's too nice, but I do have to read these. Doom is such an obvious hypocrite going on about wanting to end the nuclear threat. What, so he can be the only one to threaten world powers? And surely he appreciates that wartime is when big technical innovations come? So much of what Doom does is justified by him as being a way to free dear old mom from Mephisto. Has he thought of offering himself in her place as a no-tricks swap? Surely that old devilish loon would be all over that trade. And then Sir Martin wrestled the keyboard back from his felonious feline and ended with a keen and insightful insight. I expect the regular book is delayed because Doom is slow in approving his likeness. Speaking of which, I like the original green mask. It's minty fresh. They should bring that back. Everything about Doom is minty fresh. And that is quite a feat, actually, considering that Boris does not launder the armor as often as you might think. Uh, this is actually one of the uses of Doom's mysticism, actually, keeping that thing clean. Yes, Martin did uh, post that particular panel where Doom uh, meets Dagger and assures her that there's no need to fear. Vincent von Doom was ever a man to bow before beauty. And I like to think that what was happening there with Doom is that he was imagining Sue Storm in Tandy's outfit, and his tongue got a little twisted. Look, things happen, okay? And a special shout-out goes to Dave McIlvaney, who recently sent a Doom-themed postcard my way with this message. Doom notices your work and probably approves, but doesn't want it noted lest you relax your striving for excellence. Which is pretty impressive management theory, Dave. Thank you for making me aware of that. And hail Doom. And a shout-out goes to the Wild Lark Defense Force for regularly tweeting Dr. Doom memes and pictures. Social media support for last episode also came from Bill Bear from the Batpod, Ed Moore from Teal Productions, Tim Price the Podcrasher, Vic in Phoenix, Matt Moore, Sir Luke Jackanetti, and Gene Hendricks, both from the Two True Freaks, Manuel Carmona from Truthful Comics, Iowa's Joe Crawford, Karen from Between the Pages, James Williams from, well, from Karen, Mike Zomkowski, Chris Willett, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Laurel from the Hunters Podcast, Dr. Ange, W. Lomax, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, Comics from the Grave, Baby Skeletor, Chris Lydon, Pat Sampson from the Long Box Crusade, and our network, Listeners of the Year, Countess Ruth and Count Darren of the Sutherlands. 
Thanks to all of that feedback, everybody. I am pleased by all of that. And so is Doom. Before we take our break, let me give us all a sneak preview of this issue that we're going to be covering, Dr. Doom number seven, with this blurb from previews. Dr. Doom returns to Latveria, out for revenge on those who stole his throne away from him. With the help of his remaining allies, and one of the most powerful weapons in the universe, he'll work to expose and destroy the conspirators working against him. But the black hole on the moon is growing critical, and Doom's brilliant mind may be the only one that can stop catastrophe that will wreak havoc throughout the entire solar system. Still, Doom isn't one to just offer a friendly hand. If the people of Earth want his help, he's going to make them beg for it. And we'll be right back after this to get into the details of that issue and talk about Dr. Doom number seven. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait, be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, Where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner. Just say his name three times in an email and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben. Move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! No! Ah! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree-Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? Hey, wait a minute. This is the Book of the Vashanti. Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. And we're back. Doctor Doom number seven has a cover date of November 2020, which, as a bit of historical accuracy, I think I would have preferred they kept the original cover date. Either way, I guess you'll be able to see that jump when you look through the comic databases of the future. Anyway, this was released, finally, on Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020, with a cover price of $3.99. This is probably a lesson that Marvel 
should learn for the future, seeing as this issue was originally slated for release on April 1st. Coincidence? The cover by Salvador LaRocca shows a full body shot of Doom Cloak flapping triumphantly behind him. He appears to be standing on a pile of corpses, and a black bird of prey is about to alight on his arm. There's a big moon in the background and stars against a dark blue sky. I have just two words for this cover. Oh, and yeah. There was an alt- there was an alternate cover for this title, a Marvel Zombies variant, and it's okay. It's a nice close-up of the beloved Latverian leader, but the zombiness of it all doesn't really work for me in that case. The story, Oath of Fealty, was written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca. Spoilers for the events of issue 7. I'm going to go through the comic scene by scene in detail, just so you know. First, the recap from the first page, just to bring us up to speed. Doom publicly condemned the dangerous flaws of an international program called the Antlion Project, which involved generating a black hole on the moon to solve climate change. So when Latverian missiles struck the facility, killing nearly 3,000 and expanding the black hole, he became the prime suspect. Doom has been on the run ever since and came to believe that the nation of Simcaria framed him for the antlion attack to usurp his rule of Latveria. He began a trek back to his homeland alongside the time traveler Kang the Conqueror. Together, they fended off Simcaria's pursuing agents, but, as Sir Luke pointed out had to happen, Kang eventually betrayed Doom. When Doom came into the possession of the ultimate nullifier, after defeating Kang and notifying Reed Richards that the Blue Marvel was the key to fixing Antlion, Doom continued his journey home. We start issue 7. In northern Latveria, where a small band of six Doom loyalists have assembled, currently practicing their marksmanship versus empty vodka bottles. These are Doom's longtime advisor Boris and his daughter Petra, his chief of staff. Also, Lauren, the last surviving monk of Doom, last seen in the books of Doom. General Mikheyev. Doom Secretary of Defense, Kristoff, and Zora, a.k.a. Victorious, Doom's Cosmic Herald, and Champion of Latveria. Most, or all of these fine folk, are in exile, hiding from the usurper, Dmitry Fortunov. The general notices someone approaching from the south, and the team awaits, eager to practice their shooting on a real target. And then, cresting over a snow-swept hill, 
they see doom riding on a bear. I feel I may need to repeat this, seeing as your reaction may not have been the unadulterated awe that this appearing deserves. Doom riding on a freaking bear and announcing, I have returned. He asks Kristoff to care for the bear, Novak. Prepare my winter cloaks and the tribunal mask. There is to be a reckoning. On that ominous note, we move for a page to a science vessel near the antlion. Adam Brashear, a.k.a. the Blue Marble, based on Doom's analysis, is going to head into the antlion to generate enough negative energy to kill the black hole. If he fails, the antlion will destroy the Earth in nine days. Back in the north of Latveria, Doom has donned a scary-looking mask. I guess this is the tribunal mask with a row of teeth and sort of tusks. It's dramatic. This is the promised reckoning. A few words. The bedrock of trust upon which I ruled has been shattered by this coup. All of my subjects are suspected conspirators. You six comprise my innermost circle. But even you must be tested and your loyalties questioned. Each of you will swear an oath of fealty to me. I will accept this oath, or I won't. The general notes that Doom wears the ultimate nullifier, but Boris, from his wheelchair, knows why he doesn't just use it right then. He wants to know who his friends are. Then we see clearly what it means to rule with an iron hand, with Doom forcing each of these six members of his inner circle to kneel before him, physically, literally kneel before him, and swear undying loyalty to their master, his lordship, Dr. Victor Von Doom. He reminds Petra that her aged father is in the snow, and yet she wishes to fight in his name. She confirms this, and then Doom asks her if he is more demon than man. She stutters, and he dismisses her. She has passed inspection. Laren the monk confirms his faith in Doom as a god and as a hero. He has also passed inspection. It does not go as well for General Mikheyev. Doom reveals that he has intercepted letters between Vasily and his, quote, dearest Katerina, a.k.a. Countess Katerina Karkov, former monarch of Simkaria. I'll give you a two-minute running start, he tells the general, who tears out of the fortress. Two minutes later, Doom takes Petra's weapon and shoots the general down. 
feed him to my bear. At this point, you'd think the other three would be off the hook, seeing as how Doom has just dispatched the betrayer. But no. He has a good discussion with Boris, his oldest friend, and yet, despite the man's plea, Victor, I'm dying. I can't. He makes Boris come out of the wheel, fall out of the wheelchair to kneel before him. Boris has passed inspection. Kristoff is dispatched quickly in one very small panel. He passes inspection, but Doom is not impressed by him. Victorious kneels before Doom, but explains to him what this means and doesn't mean. I am not a slave. I've led resistance forces in your name many times and will again, always, when needed. But I am not a slave. In response, in admiration, in deep respect, Doom gives her the ultimate nullifier. I'm entrusting you with this until I return. Later that night, Doom arrives at his, I mean, well, technically for now, Dmitry Fortunov's castle, and gets the usurper's attention by hovering outside his window, high up in the castle. He taunts the man, then disfigures the man's face, as is appropriate for a Latvian leader, and then tosses him off a balcony. But right there, right then, Doom has a vision of his future children cutting up their own faces so they can be worthy of Latvian leadership. And Doom is stunned by this. Then on the last page, we return to outer space, to the Blue Marvel's efforts. But he's not confident. He's sort of stuck there, trapped and tapped out of energy. But then he sees, who is that approaching him in a six-armed spacesuit? I mean no harm. I am on a mission at the behest of World Minister Doom. I am Dr. Otto Octavius. I'm here to seal this wormhole. To be continued. Brief, short analysis. This is another winner, another very interesting, intense, emotional issue. And now let's expand upon that just a bit. Did I mention riding on a bear? <laughs> it was in reviewing this comic for creating the synopsis that I noticed there's not much action in the issue. There's not really a fight or an action scene unless you count the general versus the bear or Dimitri versus gravity. But that speaks to how drama can be different from action. Because this one has a lot of drama. Lots of it. It's an emotional read. Not the emotions of the roller coaster, the thrills of action and battle that we're accustomed to as comic book readers. But it is emotional 
nonetheless. And here's the thing. If you're going to try to do things differently, if you're going to break the rules of comics a little bit, give us 22 pages without a major fight or action sequence, you better do it well. Like, really, really well. And you know what? This comic does it really, really well. I might not have mentioned this before, but Doom riding a bear. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Now, let's not sugarcoat this. This is a tough issue for a fan defender acolyte of Doom to read. Because we really get into the nitty-gritty of what it is to lead, or more precisely, to lead a counterinsurgency, a counter-revolution, to depose the man who deposed you, and to reveal the traitor in your midst. It takes stern measures. It takes a tough man willing to do tough things. But, 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 while the events of this issue do sound overly harsh, what Dr. Doom did was necessary from a ruler's point of view. You get the feeling that Sun Tzu would have been proud of him reading this issue. In order to rule effectively, especially a small country, without a long heritage of democracy and independence and self-sufficiency, a leader needs a stable inner circle that he can trust. That's true of any leader, of course. Maybe more so, though, in the circumstances that Doom finds himself in here, because he's just been deposed, and he needs to, not metaphorically, not symbolically, not as a campaign slogan, he actually needs to retake his country, to take his country back. And as for the general and his fate, Treason is a death penalty crime in almost every nation on Earth, including the U.S. The specific details, yes, you could quibble with what Doom did at a U.N. Civil Rights Subcommittee meeting, sure. But Doom couldn't just fire the man, let him go, and run the risk of letting him warn Simcaria and her allies. What Doom does during the tribunal was for two goals. Proving his innocence as well as taking back Latveria. Let's not forget that what Simkaria did was frame him for killing thousands of people. And if you have to kill one disloyal general and feed him to your new friendly pet bear to clear your name for that, I mean... Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And I can hear you all asking, how can you defend this behavior, Professor? What gives you the moral authority to render such a sweeping judgment on such horrible behavior? Whatever went on before. Easy. And I try to keep this fact pretty close to the chest, especially among fellow members of food. Friends of Old Doom, Ranger Gord, you might want to cover your ears for the next 10 seconds or so. Because it's make-believe. That's why I can defend it. And that's why fiction is so, 
so, so important to humanity. It's why I love reading prose, why I love reading difficult prose with tragedy and hard times and heroes and heroines with hard lives who have to make hard decisions. Hello, Thomas Hardy. Because in fiction, in make-believe, there are no actual consequences. I mean, other than my emotional state as a reader. But that's a risk I'm willing to take as a reader of dramatic prose fiction. There are no real-world consequences. And so having these thoughts, these discussions, these are thought experiments. They're safe. And I think they're valuable. Okay, back to this comic book, back to the story. And we have to talk about the dreams. Those were major elements of the early issues, these previews of future versions of what could be happening to Doom. And even though they only get half a page or so here, it's a compelling moment, darker than some of the previous glimpses of the future, that's for sure. And the ending, the final page reveal of Dr. Octopus, based on Otto referring to Victor as World Minister Doom, I assume this is an Otto from the future. If so, that adds even more intrigue to his surprising arrival there in outer space. And lastly, I do need to mention one thing here again. Riding a bear. And not just because it's an awesome moment, but it's a critical moment for the issue and it is placed perfectly. Because as I said, this issue puts Doom in a questionable position. Puts his behavior in a questionable light. But those bits coming a few pages after this epic awesome, iconic appearance at the scene. See, he has this absolutely top-notch hero moment, and that gives us as readers the necessary positive feelings that we need for the rest of the issue, given his behavior. I really think that Cantwell had to give us that thrill, had to give us that big moment, a moment of victorious excellence before we really get into the nitty-gritty work of actually taking a nation back. This was a solid issue all the way around, both as an issue in and of itself, but also as part seven of what we know now will be a ten-part series. Very, very good. And just to check on my own biases, I did a little poking around the internet for other reviews of this issue just to see if I was totally out of step with the mainstream for how much I'm digging this series and this issue. And the reviews do seem to be more or less varying levels of positive. Here, as an example, are some comments from the Issue 7 review by Charles Martin on the Comics The Gathering website. This issue is a wonderful blend of nuanced characterization and striking moments that are the comics equivalent of heavy metal guitar solos. I give the whole creative team equal credit for the latter. 
The memorable moments are drawn and colored with great skill, but also clearly spring from good ideas in the script. Doom's march to retake Latveria begins with some interesting spotlight thrown on his supporting cast. Plus, Dr. Doom makes his entrance in the grandest style, riding up on a bear in a panel that screams, Make a poster out of me this instant! Mr. Martin gave the issue a score of 8 out of 10, and I agree with all of those comments, and yes, please, a poster. Now, on these podcast episodes, I want to look at the sales figures for this title, which are available at Comicron.com. The most recent figures are for February, the month of issue 5, and Dr. Doom number 5 sold a cute and curated 22,700 issues, landing at 81 on the sales list. That's a decline of less than 3% from the prior month, so I think we've probably settled in to what this title is going to do for the rest of its run, 21, 22, 23,000 issues, I would guess. Now, the next issue of this title, Dr. Doom number 8, is currently scheduled to be released Wednesday, October 28th. To whet your appetite for that issue and the related podcast episode, here's the blurb from previews. After regaining his throne, Dr. Doom presses his advantage and invades Simcaria with the intent to conquer and annex the entire nation. Darn right. Sorry, that was my editorializing, I guess, on the preview. And with the ultimate nullifier, he's able to keep the entire world at bay while he declares total war on the country that tried to overthrow him. And rightly so. Sorry, sorry, I'll stop the editorializing. Once the dust settles, he realizes he's humanity's last hope for preventing an unstable black hole from annihilating all of Earth. If you have any feedback on this episode, this issue, the ongoing, or anything related to The Good Doctor, please do not hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook or blog post for this episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. And hail Doom! Hail Doom!